Welcome to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you are on this disciple's journey with me as we continue through the book of Psalms. I certainly have enjoyed our time in the Psalms. So encouraging to me to see really the gospel shine in these worship songs to God. And so one of the things that we talk about each week is how to share the Word of God evangelistically, especially from the Old Testament books that don't necessarily have the word gospel or even Jesus Christ or the cross or resurrection, and yet can point us to the gospel. It's fascinating to me that uh, Old Testament passages do show us the truth of the gospel. And one in particular today is Psalm 147. That's part of our reading this week. And I want to focus on three main verses of Psalm 147. Now, this psalm is uh, a rather lengthy psalm. We, we see it's 20 verses that uh, kind of give uh, a lot of reasons that we praise God. And uh, in particular, it talks about the nation of Israel. So Psalm 147, verse 2, and then verses 19, or verse 1 and 2, and then verses 19 and 20. Uh, I want to kind of walk you through a way that you can share the gospel through this psalm. Look at verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord. Now that's a great way to start because that's what the Psalms are all, all about. That's what it means to praise God. For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is becoming. Now listen to verse 2. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. Now I'm going to go ahead and read 3 and 4 because it just adds so much to this. He says, He heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds, counts the number of the stars, and He gives names to them all. Great is the Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Now jump down with me to verse 19. It says, He declares His words to Jacob. Now Jacob, not necessarily the man Jacob, but Jacob representing Israel. His statutes and His ordinances to Israel. That's how we know that. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for His ordinances, they have not known them. Praise the Lord. So, so what exactly is this passage telling us? This passage is telling us that God has chosen Israel for a very specific purpose at a certain time, and He has not done so to any other nation that which He has done to Israel. And I want you to notice this, because this really is part of the story, the redemptive story that we find from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So as we ask, can we see the gospel of Jesus Christ in Psalms and in this Old Testament text, I would say absolutely. And one of the reasons is because we can look at the history of the nation of Israel. This is what the writer says. He says, look at Israel. God has not dealt with any other nation like he has dealt with Israel. And what I want you to see is four main aspects of this. Begin with creation. God creates the world. In Genesis chapter 1, we see God's creation and that part of his creation is man and woman, Adam and Eve. And in doing so, that uh, that Adam and Eve are going to sin. And through this, the curse is going to come through uh, mankind. And, and yet God's promise is going to come in the midst of this creation. 
God's promise is, I'm going to send a Messiah. And God chooses a particular nation for his Messiah to come through, namely Israel. And so we we begin with creation, that God had a plan from the beginning to dwell with mankind. And he does so by then Look at looking at the calling of certain individuals. Now, we don't have time to walk through every single Israelite and every single person, but there are a few that I namely want to point out to you. So look at the calling first of Abraham. Abraham is called in Genesis chapter 12 to leave the land of Ur out of his father's household and to go to Canaan or go to this place that God would show him the promised land. And God makes a covenant with Abraham and then ultimately with ultimately with Isaac and Jacob, and he's going to use them to be the patriarchs, the fathers of this great nation, Israel. Then we see the calling of Joseph, to for, for Joseph to, to be the savior of the nation, deliverer of the nation from famine, and through suffering, God's going to use Joseph and, and exalt him to a position high in Egypt and rescue his family out of famine, bring them to Egypt. And then we see the exact opposite where God takes a man from the palace and humbles him in a wilderness, Moses, and he's going to likewise use Moses to save the nation, deliver the nation from Egypt, and take them back to the promised land. And so we see kind of God use a bit of irony there, uh, and, and we see the parallel there of Joseph compared to Moses. God calls Moses to then lead them out of the wilderness into uh, lead them out of Egypt into the wilderness, and then ultimately they'll be led through Joshua into the promised land. Hundreds of years go by, and we see the calling of a guy named David who becomes, after Saul, one of the kings of Israel, the greatest king of Israel, and God makes a covenant with Israel. So, so this is where we see creation and calling moving to covenant. We, we saw the covenant of Abraham and Noah and Adam, of Moses, and we now see the covenant with David. And God's going to use this covenant to remind them that Israel is separate. Israel is different. We're going to see this in, as we've seen in the Psalms, the temple being built under Solomon and then the temple destroyed and then rebuilt. We see the the nation of Israel split in two, but God is going to continue this everlasting covenant. And we see the overview of the Old Testament, even when Judah goes into Babylon, for captivity for 70 years, that God calls another man, Daniel, to be reminded that when those 70 years are completed, the Israelites are going to come back and no longer be two separate nations, but one nation, and there's going to be a rebuilding of the temple at that time, ultimately leading to the uh, to, to Jesus Christ showing up, that God's covenant would be fulfilled in Christ. So we see creation, we see calling, we see covenant, but then we see the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Christ will die, he will be buried, but he will rise again. And all of this takes place within the history of the Israelite nation. And Jesus is going to do something. Not only is he going to split the veil of the temple where Jews can now experience a personal relationship with the Father, 
with God without having to rely on uh, a priest year in and year out to make atonement for for the sins. But because Jesus is the ultimate high priest, now every Jew that trusts in him can be saved. But ultimately, Ephesians chapter 2 and 3 is going to tell us that a that Christ... Uh, tore apart the veil separating Jew and Gentile. And through this, we find the creation or the culmination of God's plan in the church. And this, according to Acts chapter 2, would result in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, the ends of the earth, whereby evangelism is shown, the gospel spreading through Israel. So come back with me to Psalm 147, verse 20. He has not dealt thus with any nations. What does this show us? This shows us that what God gave the Israelites, according to Romans chapter 9, he gave them the law, gave them the ordinances, gave them uh, the, uh, the the prophets and the priests, that Israel was chosen for a spe- special purpose. That purpose was to reveal the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as Messiah, but not just for Israel. But because he dealt with Israel in a different way than any other nation, he would now be able to deal with every nation in the same way with salvation in Jesus Christ. So yes, even Psalm 147 points us to the gospel. When when somebody asks you, can we see Christ in the Old Testament? Point them to this passage because the history of Israel and the reestablishment of Israel, May 14, 1948, was a great messianic prophecy fulfilled, meaning that Christ is going to come back and Israel plays a role in that. Praise God for the nation of Israel. And may we be faithful to continue to preach the gospel to them so that they might be redeemed. As we close out our episode today, we want to look at Throwback Thursday, a moment in church history. And today, we're going to look at the early 1200s, 1200 and 1215, uh, when in which monasteries uh, and cathedral schools were, uh, during that time, uh, the leading educational systems. But in the first part of the 13th century, the early 1200s, universities were set up to be a place of study, specifically in 1200, the University of Paris, and in 1215, the University of Oxford were founded, established, and uh, and shown to be great places of education. Now, why does this matter? Well, Philip II of France set up and established the University of Paris, or, or or sanctioned it as a place of education. Henry II of England would not allow uh, the English to to study in Paris. Uh, he helped to establish Oxford in 1215, AD 1215. And these two places became the incubators for the Renaissance and the Reformation. I want you to consider that during this period of the Dark Ages, Education and intellect were not commonly received or well thought of. And yet, when these two places were founded, they were founded as Christian universities. There were several different ways that people could, several different things people could study, but four major fields of study, the arts, medicine, law, but primarily theology. 
And these schools started out with great emphasis on theology, on how to know God. And throughout the centuries, they pushed uh, this, this Renaissance mentality in which a study of Greek, Roman, Latin culture was, uh, was pushed and helped to establish in that day a return to uh, logical thinking, to rational thinking, and a return to great uh, study. But then ultimately, one of the greatest results of these universities, especially in Christendom, is the Reformation. We do not have the Reformation without the establishment of these universities, specifically Paris and Oxford. And we are thankful because those who studied there and studied in other universities uh, that came from these uh, would help push Christianity, a reformed uh, version of Christianity where Protestants would rise up, be educated, and then become educators for the sake of the gospel, for the spread of the kingdom of God, and for the health and well-being of the church. You and I are recipients of that great work, and that's why 1200 and 1215, the establishment of these universities, matters to Christian history. We all benefit from that, and may we focus on how to encourage not just intellectualism, but godly understanding from His Word. I love you. I'm praying for you. Stakes in the ground.